When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. You are watching or listening to the Truth That Heals podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Anthony Hernandez. And today we are joined by Micah Lash. Micah, thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, Micah, I recently read your book. Uh, can you share with the audience uh, just a little glimpse about you know the title of the book and a little bit about what the book is, is discussing? Sure. Um, so the book is called Mentally Diseased. That is one of the things that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses say about members who are baptized and leave. They're called mentally diseased. Um, so I figured if I'm going to be painted with that, I'm going to own it and put it on a book and, you know, diminish its power. Um, it tells, uh, it's a memoir of my life in it talks about me being born into Jehovah's Witnesses and essentially how my faith uh, crumbled. It took a long time. It was a very difficult process. There were a lot of moments that probably should have been aha moments, but they weren't. Um, I think for a long time, well, for a long time, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't really know what. I always attributed it to me, even if I saw things or things were done to me that were wrong, it always got twisted up into it was part of my sinful inclination. And also I was taught from birth, um, I couldn't trust myself or my brain, you know, or my heart. So I just, I was, you know, taught to be very obedient. And I struggled with that because I guess I've always kind of been a rebel, um, <laughs> even in instances when I was a Jehovah's Witness, when I was punished, I wasn't always receptive, um, but it uh, it did um, kind of come to a head, and I my life was totally changed, and there was a lot of damage, but I wanted to share my story, and also for my son uh, and, uh, and my stepson, but I wanted to, you know, hopefully if other people leave Jehovah's Witnesses or other high control groups or cults, and I, I know what it's like to 
be absolutely abandoned and know that you have absolutely not a single human being you can ask for help and not know where you're going to sleep or what you're going to eat next. And I don't think people deserve that because they don't believe in someone's God or religion. I don't believe uh, faith should, you know, destroy lives and cause cruelty. And hopefully if people read it, uh, I, I don't think I'm an inspiration, but maybe they'll realize, you know, I'm not the only one who's gone through pain and, you know, maybe it will help people. It would be nice. It's a happy thought. Now, I recently read it. And one thing that I got from reading your book is the high energy of hatred that is focused on ex-members or even on people who aren't part of the Jehovah Witnesses. Um, While you were a, a member um, were you were you all taught to have this kind of mentality, or is this just individual kind of thing? Well, you know the 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 funny thing is you're taught that there's this worldwide unity. And when I when I was young in the '80s, we had um, three meetings every week, and then usually you had another at least in my household, another night when you would prepare, usually take about an hour to prepare for the meetings. And you were just kept so busy. And in hindsight, I I really recognized that I was taught hatred, but I was told it was love. And the main way I illustrate that is every night when I would lay in bed, I would pray for my God, Jehovah, to vindicate his name and destroy his enemies. That was everyone who wasn't a Jehovah's Witness. I knew what that meant. I had heard in meetings, um, parts and seen illustrations of, you know, the streets running with blood, the four horsemen. I knew in my heart that Jehovah was going to kill you and everyone, (laughs) you know, that didn't believe in him. And I mean, I, it was just the way it was. Even we would go door to door sometimes and you would see a nice house and be like, yeah, after Armageddon, I'm going to take their house, you know, just like a, a, a psychopathic hermit crab. I'm just going to move on in. And it, for decades, that really never seemed wrong. I, you know, you're not supposed to covet, but of course, yeah, you know, the cognitive dissonance, you you're told that it's such a, you're told all these things that are horrible are loving provisions from God. The public shaming, the, the disfellowshippings, the shunnings, you're told it's a loving um, provision that might, I think they used to say like, move them to repentance. They don't care. If you're disfellowshipped, you are persona non grata. Watchtower and its representatives will lie to you, but it's true. One of my best friends um, in the book, I, I mentioned him and I, we got into, <laughs> we did something stupid stupid after church one night as teenagers, but I, I don't get into his disfellowshipping in the book, but he was the best friend I ever had. And I think he was 18, 19 
18 or 19, and he got disfellowshipped. And I hadn't spoken to him until a couple months ago. I happened to see him uh, before work. Um, and that always really hurt, um, you know, the shunning. I had other friends who would leave, but at the same time, you think, wow, they're choosing death. And I can't choose death because you believe if someone leaves willingly, um, not being disciplined, but, you know, becomes an apostate, that they're warped with demonic influence and they want to die and they want everyone else to die. And it's really an insane thought, but it's just one of many that resided in my head for a long time. You know, if I would be, of course, in the 80s and 90s, I don't think I ever saw like an article that was negative. But if uh, if uh, something would come up on a, you know, a computer, I would turn away or close the screen. I mean, you, you, the fear of your mind being warped by demonic influence is real. Sorry, I got somebody buzzing me. I'm sorry. This meeting is being recorded. And, uh, but yeah, I saw my friend after a long time. And, you know, it's weird for that long to pass to notice like a little gray in his facial hair, you know, and, and I haven't had hair for 17 years. I've been shaving my head, but, you know, it's just really sad because I just thought, you know, we were such good friends. What if we could have maintained that friendship all this time? And there are other people. I had a friend, one of the funnest people I ever knew. Um, and he, he was gay. And when he came out, you know, everybody knew he was gay. He was such a fun friend. He would always make me sing uh, the first uh, Spice Girls album. He loved it. And so I'd be like, all right, come on, you know, but another thing just, you know, robbed of a great friendship because he's gay, which is so, you know, what a, what a colossal waste. And you see people that are shunning their children or their parents and it really is a weight on them. And then you all, I've heard countless people talking about their God killing their child and say, well, Jehovah won't destroy anyone who's wicked. You know, just because you looked behind the curtain, you know, or even who cares, even if you became a Presbyterian, you know, I, I just... I can't imagine not speaking to my son because of what he believed. It, it just, and the, I, I remember the day he was, the night he was born, you know, here's this baby that's half me, you know, and, I, and we, his mother and I decided on his name and I knew I loved him more than God. How could I not? love what is connected to me that I can see and, and touch to what there is no empirical evidence of, you know, nothing. But in that moment, when I felt that, I judged myself because, of course, that's sinful. And also what uh, we were taught is he who loves his father and mother or son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
So, you know, everything is so criminalized, the thoughts and, you know, basic human decency. It's just, it's absolutely removed from you. So I don't necessarily say all Jehovah's Witnesses are bad people, but they're not good. You're not, you cannot be a good person and be okay with the genocide of billions, 99% of the world, and they don't even think all of them will necessarily uh, live. And, and they're so judgmental. If you have a beard, you deserve, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not a good man, but you can have a mustache and sideburns as long as the sideburns aren't too long. Meanwhile, you know, and God forbid you have unnatural hair color. And, and then you have children starving to death and, and being sold into sex slavery and rape and murder and racism and starvation. But God's worried if you have a mohawk. So it, it, it's just that, I, no, I, I was taught to be a very hateful, judgmental, elitist uh, person. And it's really difficult to combat that because sometimes you think things and you're just like, at least for me, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm like, wow, that's, that's a really ugly thought. Where did that come from? But then it, it's not really from me. It's just the years of that being hammered into me. And I think you really have to go through every part of your life and every interest, every belief, inclination, and just question them because you're, you're circumscribed and contrived if you're born in as you're developing and you're not allowed to fully develop. You're just not. So you're, I mean, I still have a lot of anger. I, I, I feel like a lot of it has gone, which is frightening, but yeah, there's a lot of anger. And I think part of it is just, I believe anger is pain that hasn't been dealt with. But a lot of times when you leave a cult, you just can't deal with the pain especially if you're shunned. It's, um, it's amazing in a negative way how there's so many different cults out there. And yet, um, even though I was in a different cult, I wasn't in Jehovah Witness. Um, one thing that I really got from the book is what you just mentioned, you know, the shunning. Uh, because in the group that I was in, we were taught, like, if you see a member uh, you look the other uh, an ex member you look the other way if they're mm -hmm. walk if they're walking on your side of the street you're gonna you cross the street and you stay away from them you don't do eye contact and it was it was really you know drilled in our minds in our hearts that you're doing this out of love and then only later on you know someone actually a nun you know, told me like, uh, no, that's not, that's not love. And I kind of like changed my mind. Like it's not love. I thought that's what God wanted. It was just, you see how cults, you know, just mess with your mind and then they mess with your conscience. And then when you're in that position where you can start thinking again, like for me, I don't know about if you felt this, but every time I started thinking kind of outside the box, every, every thought, I was plagued with like a guilty, like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to be cursed. I'm going to have like some demonic infestation coming. And then I was okay. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, they criminalize your thoughts and your, um, and your desires, you know, and it, 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 you know, just basic things. It's, it, it was so bizarre in, in uh, how I grew up. Now, I have 19 tattoos. I think I only got four or five of them while I was disfellowshipped. But of course, tattoos are forbidden. Well, they're, they're, they're like, what is it they say? Don't be, uh, they're a trend in the world. Don't be a trend follower. And even they're on, it's, they say they're bad, but it's under the mosaic law and they're not under that anymore. So, you know, it's cherry picked, but certain things, yeah, people would judge you. And I would even have people say things to me and, and very superficial things, you know, as if a tattoo, you know, tattoos, don't make you tough because you get one or evil, but just the most ridiculous assumptions are made about every little thing. And uh, as far as uh, Jehovah's Witnesses um, shunning, they say you're mentally diseased. They say that members should not listen to apostates gangrenous speeches. <laughs> which that, that one always struck with me uh, or stuck with me. And, you know, they also call you despicable. They don't care at all. They don't care about your mental health. They don't care if you lose your job. They don't care if you don't have a place to live. And, and I've experienced these things firsthand, you know, I, and there is guilt too when you know you th you look back and you're like, man, I was complicit, and I know I didn't know any better. But it, it for me, it really doesn't do anything to combat the the regret. You know, it's it's just one of those things that problem without a solution. You know, and it's weird where I work. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses. It's a it's a pretty large bar, but they a lot of them frequent it. And one night I was behind the bar doing dishes and there were probably 20 Jehovah's Witnesses that I knew. And all of them were just, their eyes were fixated and I would turn around and they'd all look away. You know, there are hundreds of people, no one else noticed, but I noticed, you know. And even a few nights ago, there was a young girl that I know. Um, she went, our uh, kingdom hall, it had two congregations that met there. So she went to the opposing one, but I've known her probably 10 years or more. And I, I, she, she was just staring at me. And it's interesting because I also know that she has looked me up on social media because it's recommended. She even followed me on one of my accounts, which like, not, why are you following me? I'm a horrible apostate. But, you know, she was staring at me. So I just looked at her right until she turned back and just gave her a big, you know, grin and walked on. It, it's weird, though, because... I remember seeing disfellowship people and really thinking, be, becoming uncomfortable and, you know, wondering if there were like demons around them. But me personally, I would say I easily know around 500 people pretty well from around this area, you know, almost four decades. And I don't know a single ex Jehovah's Witness who has ever written a book or spoken out. So, I mean, I don't, I would be very curious if somebody I knew, you know, wrote a book, 
I would be very curious. So I wonder, you know, sometimes if, I wonder how much they know. I mean, obviously they're not talking to me. So I probably was uh, disfellowshipped a third time in absentia, but I really wonder like what the, the talk is about me, you know? Like what the gossip is about you. Yeah, like, I mean, because it's just, like I said, I I don't know anyone who ever spoke out, you know, publicly. So I would really want to know what was in that book. Mm-hmm. I really would. I'd like, I would have a hard time. So we'll what's see. The, maybe. What's, what's the name of your book again? Me, uh, Mentally Diseased. All right. So if any uh, Jehovah Witnesses are listening, um, you can uh, grab a copy, maybe grab two. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Mentally Diseased. Um, you've mentioned just right now, you know, we've, we've been talking about, uh, shunning. We're, we're getting into that. Uh, then you mentioned how, I think you said you were disfellowshipped or is that how you say it? Disfellowshipped? Yeah. Disfellowshipped and then reinstated. Okay. There's a part in the book where I think you said that you were disfellowshipped for 18 months. And then during that 18 months, you endured a lot of shaming and then you were reinstated, but, Although you were reinstated, it, it seemed like you weren't really, um, you were physically in, but it didn't seem like you were mentally there. Um, can you share a little bit about that experience when you were disfellowshipped and that, that moment when you got reinstated and how, and how, do you, how, how were your emotions at that time and, or your, your thoughts at that time? You know, the so that was the first time I was disfellowshipped. And I had stayed overnight with a girl. And um, nobody knew, just me and her. Well, my mom knew, but for some reason, she chose not to say anything, which blows my mind in high because she knew, yeah, whatever. Uh, and, but I really began to feel this profound guilt. I remember sitting in meetings and hearing parts and I'm like, oh, you know, I've been, I've, I've grieved my God. You know, one of the, I don't know that it's ever defined, but Jehovah's Witnesses talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. I don't think anybody knows what the hell that means. <laughs> I think it's just made up. But I would worry about doing that. And you're also told if you have covered up your wrongdoing, Jehovah will remove his blessing from the congregation. So not only are you hurting yourself and potentially missing out on eternal life, you're harming your brothers and sisters. So I agonized for a couple weeks because I didn't really want to talk about being with this woman and, you know, what had happened. And I mean, it wasn't even anything crazy. I mean, I didn't even sleep with her. I, I think they would qualify it as like pornea, they call it. But I, I, I told an elder I needed to speak about some wrongdoing. And it was, while it was happening, I, I just, they, they kept asking these really intrusive sexual questions. And I, I know they've asked far worse to women, which that would be far worse, a woman in a room with three men. But they're asking me really, really mortifying things. And I truly did feel guilt. I felt like I had not lived up to the moral person I was. But the reason I didn't want to tell them is because I was embarrassed. It wasn't about contrition or repentance. That was there. I was just absolutely mortified. 
But their their belief is that um, the quicker after the wrongdoing happened, or at, the more time that's gone pat by, the less repentant you are. So I should have told them right after a day or whatever, you know. So they told me that uh, they dismissed me to deliberate. They met with me, and then they met with her, and they called me back. And I don't know how long I sat in the empty lobby of the Kingdom Hall. But I, I prayed to my God for what I feared would be the last time because you're told that you will be cut off from uh, him and his Holy Spirit. So he won't help you. He won't hear your prayers. And that was really terrifying. And then they called me back. And I really, really did feel that I had done something bad and I felt guilty. And I really felt I, like I was repentant. And then they disfellowshipped me. And I was confused because I knew they didn't know how I really felt, but I didn't trust myself. You know, you're, you're taught not to trust yourself. So, uh, and then they say, you know, we're going to make this announcement next, whatever. And it would show that you agree with the decision if you were there, which public shaming is a big thing in cults. I never realized that uh, until within the last couple of years. And I, I, I sat there and I didn't feel any different inside. It, it was real quiet. Nobody really seemed to care, honestly. And then when meeting was over, uh, I sat and we, you know, did closing song prayer and I went right out. Pardon me. And during that year and, uh, or that 18 months altogether, the really pitiful thing was there was really no difference between when I was in and then. Very few people had anything to do with me. Um, you know, I wasn't spiritual enough. I wasn't, or, and I was always getting in trouble for very superficial things. You wore all black. I never got in trouble for tattoos, but wearing all black to a meeting, that was an issue they needed to discuss. It, it, but... I really began to resent them because I thought your punishment is no different than the reward or the life that I have among you. You know, this isn't even doing anything to me. I don't care about talking about the meetings with my mother. My mom still talks to me, you know, um, but I never really, um, the, you know, cults build up these walls and you go right up to it. And they're like, whoa, 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 that's rebellious. That's independent thinking. And you just, you, you do a 180. And so uh, you have to write letters to be reinstated. And my first letter, uh, I said, you know, I, um, I accept the, the decision. I've, you know, been working to improve my standing with Jehovah, studying all this. And also, I know what I'm coming back to. You people don't care about me. <laughs> so I think that's indicative of my belief in dedication. But they didn't see it that way. And they told me I couldn't be reinstated. And I was pissed off because I had prayed. So I actually found somewhere some apostate Jehovah's Witness had written like a, uh, a template to get reinstated. <laughs> and I just typed in my info sent in they ate it up they loved it you're so contrite you're so repentant i don't know if this person was a former elder or whatever but i never 
I mean, which is, that's not okay as a Jehovah's Witness. That's ridiculous. But at the time, I never really looked at any other apostate stuff. I just figured it was somebody, you know, I found a loophole or whatever. So then I was reinstated. And I think a lot of times they expect you, like, when you've been in trouble and you come back, they want you to, like, springboard and, you know, be a ministerial servant, which that's a precursor to an elder, um, you know, start pioneering, going out in service a bunch. Or, but I mean, I, I, I didn't feel a change, you know, it was just, it, it, it was always, I hope Armageddon's tomorrow because I'm unhappy and I miss my dead father, you know, and I, 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 that was just my mindset. Like you have to stay loyal until it's over. And I, you know, that's another cult tactic. If you're kept survival oriented, you don't really use critical thought. You you, you know, you react, you're, you're more emotional. And, you know, it's emotional reasoning. Armageddon is imminent. Why would you be disobedient? And, you know, I spent, I did just another, I got reinstated when I was 23. And from 23 to 33, it was just more of the same. It was an absolute nightmare. Um, not being included, never being good enough mistreated for having depression um, even though they say they don't mistreat people who have been uh, you know publicly reproved or disfellowshipped I mean it's not a law that they do but in my experience people just they think less of you it just it is what it is you know and it's very shitty mm -hmm. totally it, it is it's you know, you sit there and it, 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 you know, it, it, it's frustrating sometimes um, in the aftermath because I just realized things about how wrong my time in was. Uh, I have a bad habit of n never making eye contact. And I know that I'm interpreted often as being very rude or dismissive. But when I was a Jehovah's Witness, when I would go into the hall, quite often, barely anyone would make eye contact. There, there were dozens of times, honestly, where I said, hey, so-and-so, hey, brother, how are you? And people would just look at me and walk off. And they almost convinced me that it was in my head you know, oh, they didn't hear you. You know, I, I really, I really thought I was the problem. And then now socially, you know, I just walk and I look at the ground, not because I'm necessarily depressed or intimidated. I'm just, I, you know, it's like, it's like Pavlov's dog. You're just conditioned that you're just this non-entity, but we love you but we treat you like garbage, you know? I used to feel like I could light myself on fire in the kingdom hall. And I wondered if anyone would notice. They, they just flat out don't give a shit. And it, it's just, whether you're being shunned or not, you're being abused when you're a Jehovah's Witness. Do you think that some of the members actually get a pleasure 
or get off on shaming and shunning other members? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, uh, and you would experience that too. You know, you, you're taught to dehumanize on every level. You know, uh, one of the things I remember when I was a little boy that confused me, I said, I thought like, well, so if I eat a birthday cupcake, Jehovah will kill me. But if this guy's gay, Jehovah will kill him. Like, why is there no difference in that? Because being gay for them, you know, that's the only um, sin that's an abomination. But that just seemed really unfair. Like, I'm a hungry six-year-old, and they're doing the absolute worst sin. Why is the punishment the same? That didn't make sense. But, you know, just, oh, it will, you know, just trust Jehovah, you know the light gets brighter and thought terminating cliches. And, you know, your, your brain just, they have these ways of just turning your brain off and you're just like, well, I got to do this now. And, you know, and decades go by, you just, you don't understand. So I I've witnessed firsthand people judging people for, Oh, their hair is orange or they have a lot of facial piercings or they have tattoos or, Oh, they have a muscle car, a, a Ferrari. Well, they're, they're materialistic. And maybe they're materialistic, you know, but they don't know for sure. They just, it's very surface level. It's very judgmental. And they always say, well, we're, we're, and then they're, we're trying to save these people. They, 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 they create this Messiah complex because when I was a little boy, you know, I thought I was in a life-saving work. I did not take that lightly. (laughs) And it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where what, what you're you're just when you're taught it from from birth, you don't know any better. I, I always equate it to racism. If you have a baby and you look at those people, aren't they filthy and liars and and you're gonna believe them because your parents and everyone around you reinforces it. And you just you don't know what's what. You you have to get away from it, you have to put distance to realize something's wrong with it. And for me, I, I feel like the more distance, the more I keep realizing how wrong it is and problems is, that it has created that I'm either trying to work on or I don't even know how to address, you know, just trying to not make it worse. So we've we've discussed, you know, the, the terrible situation of uh, shaming, shunning, how these elders or how these members, not just from your group, but from all these cults, pretty much get off, get a kick out of, you know, feeling this Messiah complex, which you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share with us, because it was really, you're you're so transparent in the book. And that's not something that I always find. I'm, I'm just recently doing my own healing journey, and I'm only recently you know, opening memoirs and you really go very deep where you share how the shunning even seeps into the family, uh, the family life. Can you share a little bit about uh, what shunning does uh, within the family and how it, how it can ruin it? Yeah. um, Well, so the second time that I was shunned, Elders told me I couldn't spend time with this woman that I had fallen in love with. And I, 
you know, there was no scriptural basis. The congregation liked her and they didn't like me. That's all that was going on. And they were trying to keep us apart while we were falling in love with each other. So it ended up the, they said I couldn't speak to her except at meetings. And I was 33 at the time. I was livid and I'd essentially had 20 years of torture from my father dying to my, my mom had a lot of health issues and that was frightening for you know, a young teenager who buried his, one of his parents um, and just depression. And in the nineties, they, they didn't know that, you know, these antidepressants made you more suicidal. So there was just, it was just 20 years of perpetual hellish deja vu. It just blend, blends together, most of it. And I was really mad because I was angry. This I've, I've, I met someone I really like that likes me back and you guys want to ruin it. And I wasn't willing to, to not take a chance. So we were married and I think uh, the shunning the second time, it affected her faith, but she still was involved. She never got baptized. When she got a look at the baptismal questions, she felt it like it was pledging her life to the governing body, the men at the top of Watchtower. And she said, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable. But so this time I, I, I moved in with her and we ended up eloping in a few months. But I was completely cut off from everyone. Now, another part of, um, and this really shows the control. If you want to be reinstated, you can't be spending time with worldly people. You can't be making friends. You have to essentially live alone in agony. Now, that that time, I, I, since we had eloped, and probably my ex-wife saw this as a, you know, she's, I, I don't know when she <laughs> felt it was a cult. I don't know what point, but uh, we were living together, but she didn't tell her parents that we were married. And that was absolutely devastating to me. And that went on for over a year and I had no support. Um, I, I mean, I, I felt betrayed um, by my wife, who I had rejected God for. And I mean, I, I can understand it's weird. I, I don't know. It was just a bad situation. There were a lot of factors. And I just started drinking. Uh, I had been drinking before this, you know, but functionally. And I began drinking very, very, very heavy. I still went to meetings. But pretty much when I wasn't in meetings or work, I was drunk. And I even remember one time my mom came over after my son was born and she had a, she told me she was really, really struggling. And I said, struggling with what mom? And it was like, she just, she came up right to it, right to it. And I just, I feel in my bones that she was struggling with shunning me. But then she just like clamped down, doubled down on Watchtower and then just, you know, dismissed it. And uh, I tried to, I had kind of been looking at some apostate material 
although I'll be, I mean, I, I was drunk most of the time, but I tried to tell her about a video that had made me question some things and she said it was CGI, you know, a deep fake, whatever. So um, I feel like that took a toll on her, honestly. And I really feel like in my absence, the congregation just got their tendrils into her because I was disfellowship for two and a half years, I believe that time. It's quite a while. And I really felt like she had changed when I came back. And it really, for me, damaged the relationship. You know, you can say you love me, but I have years of proof. You know, I just, shunning, it, it's weird because I feel relationships, whether it's, you know, with, with a partner, with friends, they're, they're like organisms. If you don't nurture them and feed them, they just die. And so it's really weird to just think about cutting someone out and just cold indifference to anything they could be going through. And then they come back and just to rekindle it. I don't work that way. Maybe some people do, but even though, I don't know, I wanted my, my son was born while I was this fellowship the second time. And I wanted him to have, you know, uh, a multi-generational family because out of my parents, nobody was a member and they joined in their late twenties, early thirties and kind of distanced themselves from the family. So I, I really just had them in the congregation. Uh, so I don't know. I just think it was almost like muscle memory that brought me back that time. And also I had begun to see uh, the kingdom hall where we met. I was disfellowshipped in one congregation and then I moved to the other kind of like for a fresh start. But I began to see inconsistencies when I was speaking to the brothers and not about, you know, about like procedure, procedural. Well, I can't talk the procedures of being reinstated. And that was really troubling to me because you're taught that there is worldwide unity. What they're doing in Zimbabwe, they're doing in Russia, they're doing in Croatia, it's all the same. And I'm like, wow, this is the same building. These people live, you know, same town area. Why is it different? But it was, it was yet another time when, you know, I, I, I knew it didn't make sense, but, oh, I figured, well, it'll be, get sorted out or, I just really didn't pursue that question. So when I came back though, I just, I really was, I, I, I was a wreck. I, I, I feel like that time just broke me. And I really, in absence of anything else to rely on, I was just relying on alcohol. I was, um, I, I was just binge drinking all the time. I, I was unhappy in my marriage. I was unhappy in my religion. I was unhappy with everything pretty much. And I really just wanted to drink myself to death because I always, I just felt that, you know, if I die, I'm either asleep or I'll wake up in paradise. And it seemed acceptable. I just, I couldn't function among them anymore. I, um, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it any more than that. What I find perplexing um, 
is that you know when you're disfellowshipped you you know of course there's going to be all that shunning and shaming but it seems that even when you weren't disfellowshipped even when you were a member it seems like they were still giving their backs to you did you ever feel part of the community part of the uh jehovah witness family at any point before my dad died and then um well another thing i jehovah's witnesses do you know you you can't grieve when you always think armageddon could be tomorrow and your dead one will be returned how do you grieve you can't i mean they it's it's just dangled in front of you like a carrot and so i had a lot of anger and also most 13 year olds don't really have a sense of mortality i did I was very intrigued with death and just, it changed my whole worldview. I remember a very uh, profound thought I had. Uh, I was in New York as a boy and my dad wanted to girl, go in the, into the World Trade Center. Well, I was afraid of heights, so we left and then he died and then that building was destroyed. And all I had was regret and I just thought, you know, if something comes up, whether it's I want to ask a really beautiful girl that I think is way out of my league, or I want to, you know, I tried stand-up comedy the first time I was disfellowshipped. And I, I was nervous to do that, you know, but it was important for me to try. And I don't know, I, I just, after his death, I don't think I ever fit in because I was sad and just you're, you serve the happy God, you're living the best way of life. So why aren't you happy? People just, I don't know, my, my grief was criminalized and I really was mistreated just for, for being sad and missing my dead father, which I think is a, one of the massive critical failures of my life regarding Watchtower. no one just said hey you're sad you're angry that's okay tell me how you feel get it out it was just do this do service read the publications go to meetings be compliant and don't talk about the fact that you're dying inside so you're really trained even from as a child to die to your emotions pretty much yeah, I, Jehovah's Witness children are never divided from the uh, from the adults when uh, they give parts. And I remember uh, when I was younger, they would say like Michael Osh has been disfellowshipped. Now they would say Michael Osh is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and I believe it's because people have sued them for that. But quite often if wrongdoing had happened in the congregation and everybody knew about it because Jehovah's Witnesses are notorious gossips. Oh, it's, it's bad. It's like a bunch of teenage girls. But if, if, if wrongdoing had happened, it would be a, a week or two later during our midweek meeting, they would have a local needs and they wouldn't say the name, but everybody knew who they were talking about. So you know, you could potentially have a part that's about oral sex, which you know is about this brother and this sister, and there are just kids there. Wildly inappropriate. I, I, before I started kindergarten, I had heard about, you know, incest, 
bestiality, rape, murder, genocide, the apocalypse, all these terrifying, horrifying things. And I, I just, for, for so long, I, it just didn't register how wrong that is. You know, I, I should not have known what incest was before I started kindergarten. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's perverse. And um, wow, I, I didn't really, you know, like every time I hear about the Jehovah Witnesses, um, I don't I don't hate them. You know, I don't know them, but it's like every time I hear a story, it just gets worse and worse. And it's like, dang, um, you know, there's a there's a trend going on. And I, I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of curious because you mentioned about, you know, that that spirit of gossip that's in the community. Um, and how like they point out all your faults, like, oh, this person's like this or this person's like that. Um, you know, there's that shaming and shunning and that blaming towards the like the lower members. I'm curious, are they quick to point out the faults of uh, the elders in the group or is that kind of swept under the rug? Do they get that same treatment of all that shaming, all that, you know, shunning? Do they get it too? Absolutely not. And during the past year, um, there is a book called Shepherd the Flock of God. It's not on their website, but it has been leaked online. And they teach that there's no uh, distinction between the clergy and the laity class. There is that book. It even says in that book that an elder can cover over his own sins, which I never knew until I read that. And I was a Jehovah's Witness for 37 years. If you are disrespectful to an elder, you are reminded that elders uh, deserve double honor. And serving as an elder is indicative of God's approval. Now, if some massive thing was exposed elders can be removed but you know the more i've thought about it i feel like to get you to become an elder they really have to trust you because you know you've got this book in the book it says uh, if you're married don't let your partner touch it or you know don't leave it out around your family so i I really, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe some elders get promoted to that level and then they're like, wow, this isn't what I thought it was. But I feel like most of them, they're, the hooks are in them so deep or they're so obedient, they just go along and it, maybe excuse it in their own mind. But yeah, you really can't be disrespectful to elders. Um, what is it you will be charged with? Um, Oh, I once I was talked to because I I think I cursed. Like I said, someone was, I don't know, like a fucking idiot. And they told me I was a reviler, which I had to look that up. I, I think it means like you speak negative. I don't know exactly. But I mean, no one ever uses that word reviler. They also told me I was brazen outside of being a Jehovah's Witness. I have never heard those words used. And uh, what was the name of that book? That you, was it Shepherd of God, Shepherd the Flock, or 
uh, Shepherd the Flock of God is what it's called, I believe. And yeah, uh, I don't know if it was a Bethelite. Somebody has leaked it online, and uh, there are also YouTube videos of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses going over it. And a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe it exists, but then some do know about it, and I guess excuse it. I mean, you know, it's crazy. It's just. I, yeah, I guess I, I'm going to have to go check out that book. I mean, maybe, or like the audience, you know, go look for it. it, it it's interesting because there are things in there that average Jehovah's Witnesses do not know. And I think it, there's one thing, too, with where the elders can cover over their sin. Like if enough time has gone by and nobody's found out about it, that's perceived to be like then they can just cover over it, you know, but then other people, if it's me or you, if we mess up, you know, if we take a day as opposed to five minutes to report it, you know, the, the closer the time, the more repentant they are. But elders can just hide stuff. You know, it's it's crazy because when I was in, I don't think I would have believed you if you told me, if someone told me that. If someone tried to show me that book, I probably would have thrown it away or lit it on fire. You know, they... They really have their hooks in members. They did in me. It took me a long time to see through. I was bamboozled thoroughly. Bamboozled. I haven't heard that word in a while. I mean, they I, I, they had the hook in my, and just, you know, and then it's, then when you're outside of it, you just barely talk about it. And you're like, that's psychotic. Like my son is five years old. I have memories of being five or six and hearing from the stage, good for nothing slave. And I'm just, even in my little brain, I'm thinking that's kind of harsh, <laughs> you know, good for nothing. I would never tell my son that never, but they just, I don't know that they, they abuse the members and they get the members to perpetuate the abuse. And it's all about this, this faux presentation of happy. There is a Jehovah's Witness persona. I was never good at doing it. I, I have kind of a flat affect. And of course, post waking up, I, I mean, I'm more emotional. I'm, I, 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 it's changed a lot. But just, you know, it's just like, I remember one, one time from the stage that the guy, he's like, well, brothers, we know it's cold outside, but there's plenty of warm Christian fellowship in here or in the kingdom hall. And I just wanted to vomit, you know, but people are applauding. It's so fake. It's so obsessed with the presentation and, you know, the, the lighter colored suits you wear, the, the, the better a man you are just, no priorities, absolutely no focus on anything relevant to life. It's it's delusional. It they teach delusional thinking. As I as I see you, I've never met you in person, but you know, just seeing you, it's hard to imagine you being a Jehovah Witness because you just mentioned that there's a Jehovah Witness persona, and I think maybe all maybe all cults have this, but you have to put on a mask. And for me, the way I kind of the way I kind of think of it is kind of like in my 11 years in the group I was in, I was method acting because, you know, inside I 
I'm Ryan inside, but on the outside, I had to put on this mask and behave and be smiling all the time, even when life was miserable. Um, and the reason why I say it's hard for me to picture you being a Jehovah Witness is because the energy you give is um, what you see is what you get. You're not going to uh, water down your personality and yeah, you're very open. Uh, you're it's, it's totally the opposite. So uh, did that, did that progress take uh, a long time or was it kind of like uh, a few days, a few weeks you know, I think I was always that way. And I'll tell you a story because this is why. So <laughs> I remember I was a little boy and I, I'm sitting on the wall. I have my arms wrapped around my knees and my dad is laughing hysterically. And my dad had this like boisterous laugh. He would almost, he would go like, <gasps> and like sound like a donkey. And I would mock it. I, I just thought it was funny. I could always hear it throughout our big house. It was, you know, two stories. We'd have card parties sometimes and I'd hear him. But he's dying laughing. And he's telling my mom about something he read in the newspaper. I didn't know what it meant. But a few days later, we're out in service. And my mom's driving. And there's some elders in the car. And I just thought my mom would tell this story. And so I said, hey, mom. Why don't you tell him about the guy who raped the horse? <laughs> and my mom screamed my name. No one else chirped. And I remember she got really mad at me. And she's like, if your dad was laughing about something, that doesn't mean it's okay. But I'm thinking, well, we're true Christians. Why are we one way in the house and not this way around our brothers and sisters? It, it seemed like bullshit to me. So... I always struggled with that because I thought like, well, okay. I mean, I was born in, but you're taught that Jehovah draws honest hearted ones. And I want, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to say now, but I mean, I feel like I wanted to serve Jehovah, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm good enough, but maybe I want to tell a joke that's got dark humor or listen to a heavy metal song. So you know, I would get in trouble for things like, oh, you you had a shirt with Ozzy Osbourne on. Why? Because I like Ozzy Osbourne. Well, did you think it would offend your brother? Well, no, because that's stupid. And the Bible says they're not rushed to take offense. They're being judgmental, you know. And I, I always was kind of a contrarian, but I think really I was just, you know, it, I was in the group, but I thought like maybe they were being too staunch and I could help liberate their minds and improve the group somehow. And I think there are a lot of members that think, yeah, it has flaws, but this is still the truth or the one good whatever. So I'll stay and try and improve it because what would it be if I left? You know, it's I, that was another thing I think that kept me. But I just always. If, if, if I thought something, I felt like people deserve to know and I didn't say it to hurt their feelings or seem insensitive, but. I saw so many people that projected one thing, but were this other thing. And I saw that as very fake. And I never felt like I was safe around those people because how can I trust them? And did you actually say that in the car with the elders? Uh, Mom, how come we're like that at home? But 
outside where did, I did not <laughs> no, because because I knew yeah no I I got hit in the face a lot as a child and no it just I didn't know what I had done wrong but I the way she I, she screamed at me like that one time in my whole life because she was mortified and she said to my knowledge those brothers I never mentioned that again <laughs> it must have been a very um odd moment in the car yeah I, I mean i was probably six maybe you know and i remember her yelling at my dad not to talk about those like news stories in front of me that night but yeah and the jehovah's witnesses are full of that like you're not supposed to watch our movies i believe you cannot serve as an elder if you watch our movies elders watch our movies not all of them but some do you know i've known elders who their kids have been like, oh, yeah, my dad, he's got tons of porn. You know, there's all kinds of inconsistencies, but it's about presentation. It's about the image. It's not about living the lifestyle. It's about presenting the illusion of the lifestyle. Do you think if more elders and members live the lifestyle, and let's say they even removed all of that um, that glorification of disfellowshipping and shaming and shunning, do you think that there will still be that there would be more members or do you think that people would still have left? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses are very, very strict, very restrictive. You know, despite what they may say on their their website or in their publications, you know, children are not supposed to do anything extracurricular. Um, hobbies and stuff, you know, those a lot of times pardon me, at least in my experience, you know, maybe you want to learn to do something, but you could be using that time for your ministry. You could be donating more to the society. Why focus on this fleeting life when you can achieve immortality and then you can do everything you ever wanted to do? Hooray! You know, and so you'll be like, yeah, I wanted to take this class or I wanted this job, but no, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to build my own house and live in it until it starts crumbling around me and then build another. I'm going to watch my family line descend forever. I mean, my number one fantasy when I was a kid from paradise was they say all animals will be peaceable. And my favorite animal um, animals are sharks. And I used to dream about just holding the fin of a great white shark as it pulled me through the ocean. I, I had a, my favorite movie was Jaws. I had uh, shark that uh, my action figures they would eat them all the time I you know and that fantasy that delusional thinking because they tell you to envision yourself in the paradise see yourself there they'll tell these little handicapped children see yourself running see yourself seen and it is very tempting I miss that honestly I there, there is nothing that I wanted longer or more for most of my life than to have my dead father back. And it was that thing that I clung to that just made me tolerate bullshit, abuse, cruelty, negligence, indifference. That's what kept me there. And you know, I just made excuse after excuse 
and I'm not perfect, but I blamed myself. You know, all of that cruelty I internalized because, and th- and then you almost dismiss it because, you know, if I would drop something on my foot and say, oh shit, well then I need to stop and say, oh dear heavenly father, I'm sorry, I use profanity. Please forgive me. Please imbue me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to become a better man, a better servant and representative of you. When you bring your kingdom, please remember me. And that's insane to do that countless of times throughout your life when you might slip up. You know, you don't forgive yourself. You plead not to be murdered for a Half the time, if not more, it's not even a mistake. That mentality, just if you haven't experienced it, you you can't understand it. And, and, and I'm glad. I wouldn't wish that on people. Wow. Um, we've really gone through a lot of, you know, the experience you went through, the experiences uh, of the family. Um do you think that there's any hope for the Jehovah Witnesses for for their I think they're called the the governing body? You think that there's any hope that they're gonna uh, wake up and smell their own, you know? Yeah, I I truly don't think so. There has been, uh, a, um, I think, it, well, they just announced that one of. Uh, Earlier this week, I believe, if not last week, one of them, they put on their website, he was no longer serving. And then you had a a friends who wrote a book. Um, But, you know, to get to that level, to be in Bethel, their headquarters, Bethel, to be promoted to the governing body, I just don't know, because quite often these these families are multi-generational it's it's you know grandparents parents children cousins and there's a lot of hooks in you and that must be very hard to break free when you have you know maybe dozens of people that you love or are close to I really had no one I had you know one family that I cared for very deeply but you know, and then my mother, and I wasn't speaking to any of them um, towards the end. So, you know, I just don't know. I don't think that I am remarkable because I realized I was in a cult. I don't. I think that the cult broke me, and out of complete desperation, well, I mean, I, I destroyed my life. Absolutely. Every aspect I was destroyed. And in that wreckage, I, I began, you know, looking at, into the things that cults do to people because I, I didn't trust my mind. I'd been told for 37 years I couldn't trust my mind. You know, you're told to resist independent thinking. And they foster codependency. They don't say they do, but that's what they're doing on the group, the beliefs. You know, many Jehovah's Witnesses work for each other. It's a very insular community. But I don't know why I woke up. I know some people say, didn't you see through it with almost contempt? I didn't. 
Like I said, I was bamboozled and I wanted my father back. And I think that just turned my mind off. And I just thought I have to be whatever they ask so I can have him back. And, but yeah, I think in my story, I knew something was wrong. I just, I believed it was me. And I was trying to fit in, I mean, for lack of a better term, you know, a circular a circle into a square peg. It just, I didn't mm -hmm. fit in. And I tried for a long time. And every man has their breaking point. It just, you know, it's possible. I don't want to rule anything out. But I also think too, the older you are, when I think of my mother, my mother turned 70 in January. What would it do to a 70 year old woman who has shunned her son treated him unkind to realize, wow, I'm probably never going to see my dead husband again. I'm not going to live forever. And I'm old and I don't have much money and I've wasted my life and never really done anything I wanted to do. I think that would break her. And I think you have certain people that would rather double down on the fantastical promise than admit what has happened. And, you know, some people say they stumbled across an article and they realized. For me, I really had to fundamentally go through everything and, and challenge it. And, you know, it, it, I was having, my hands were shaking. I was very, very distraught doing that. I really felt like I was doing the absolute worst thing, apostatizing against the one true God. So it, my journey waking up was a difficult one. Um, I really liked how you, you brought that analogy of the square peg going into a circle um, and trying to fit in because cause you, you know, I mean, it's at least for me, it's like I'm forcing myself. When I left the cult, um, well, actually when I was in it, I was, I fit in really good. I, I was able to to learn the ways and fit in. But then towards like the last few years, uh, I was starting to, to see my true identity as a person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm, I was rejecting kind of the, the cult mentality. And then when I came back home, you no, know, my parents, my family weren't involved in that. And so it was like, I just recently watched the movie deer hunter. Have you ever watched that movie deer hunter? Yeah, I just watched it and I felt like these three like these three characters not to spoil the movie for everyone but these three characters go to war and then they come back one of them feels like he's out of place one of them there's like a bit of guilt because he was in in the war with this friend and he left him there and then the third one his life means nothing to him anymore and mm -hmm. when I came back my life meant nothing to me I had I didn't know where to fit. I didn't know where I belonged. And it was just so chaotic, even though I was, you know, in my room and not knowing what the hell to do. And I can, you know, your story is your story. And, you know, you mentioned before the interview that uh, like when people say, I know how you feel sometimes that that's a load of bullshit, uh, yeah. but you know, like reading your book, you know, I don't know how you feel, but I can relate. And there's that, that resonance where it's like, oh, snaps, you know, because I remember really drinking myself 
at times and just escaping. Um, and it was really, it was very painful and, you know, very, I, it felt like, you know, if I don't fit in the cult, I don't fit in the world, uh, what's the purpose of my life? And so I was really going into this path of despair and discouragement. Uh, but like to kind of start wrapping things up, I wanted to go back to your book writing, how even though you've been through hell, they say no hell is in the afterlife, but I also believe that hell's, hell can be here. Um, yeah. You you went through a hell, but then you found bravery to write a book. Um, how did you find that bravery um, in the midst of so much darkness and confusion? How did you get that courage to to go for it? Because so many people, I bet there are ex-members who are looking at you or even uh, cult members who are still in the call looking at you like, dang, you know, I wish I had the... I wish I had that uh, courage like he does, but courage isn't magic. It's not like the snap of a finger. So like, yeah. what was it that you did to help you get through that? Well, uh, I, uh, I don't know, probably about two years ago, I really began to feel that I needed to talk about what had happened. Um, I've always loved writing. I've always adored words. And I, as a Jehovah's Witness, put evil into the world, trying to convert people. You know, I, I brought my ex-wife in for a time and her son and, and our little boy. But, you know, none of them are active now. But you never know people that I talked to through all that, those years, maybe something happened and they're like, Oh, well this guy. So I thought I need to, I need to almost like, you know, combat that and do something. And also, uh, in, in my drinking, I lost who I was. I became a person I didn't recognize or know. Uh, I, I, uh, I didn't know any better, but I, at, for a time, I thought being drunk every single day was the best thing I could do for me and the woman and children I loved. And it was a mistake and there was collateral damage. So I wanted to also publicly, I wanted to do something, hopefully maybe as big as my failure to so the way i conclude mentally diseased is there uh there are actually three letters um, one to my mother one to my uh, little boy and one to my stepson and i uh i address them as their nicknames in it or in those but when i was writing there are very embarrassing things in in uh mentally diseased but i had to remove my ego because i know that my story is the story of every other Jehovah's Witness to some degree. And I've always been rather comfortable with dark things. It could be because my father died and then my mom had all these health issues. I worked in a nursing home for 11 years. You know, I saw a lot of death and I don't know. I, many times when I needed comforting, 
I couldn't find it anywhere. I've, I found it maybe in, in music or movies or books. And I just always really cherish that because there are uh, numerous um, artists that saved my life many times with a song. Um, you know, and that's 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 very weird, but also a very powerful thing. And I really have a deep affection for uh, several bands just because I found them during these very, very dark periods. So I wanted to create art. I wanted to do something that maybe could affect people. And when I worked with my editor, uh, Moses Montgomery, I liked that his name is biblical. But, you know, I, I told him, I said, I think the first time we spoke, I said, I want you to know I used to pray to my God for you to die. I said, <laughs> and I say it like that because to not say it that way is a disservice. Just because these people are polite and seem kind, that's not really what's going on. And people deserve to know. Um, also, my, uh, you know, I, I wanted my son to, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I could die tonight in my sleep. I wanted my son, who's still very young, to know what happened with me during the darkest times of my life and to know that when I was left to die outside, I stood up to a cult and the men at the top and said, fuck you, because, you know, I don't know. That's a very empowering thing that I really want to encourage, you know, all people that lead these groups to what do you want to do? You know, wh what's your passion? What makes you feel alive? And then go do that thing. I mean, for me, I lost absolutely everything and it really changed fundamentally who I was. I realized, you know, I had put worth into a lot of things where it wasn't there and maybe I hadn't valued other things. And I, um, I think I, I, I decided to try and live intentionally and I wanted to try and help people because I, I know what it's like to leave a group and be absolutely abandoned and be heartbroken and devastated and bad things just keep happening. And I've had clinical depression and many, many suicide attempts, self-harm. And I don't know, it just, almost, if, to me, it just feels like a part of me, but I don't like when other people suffer that like that. So I felt, how could I not share this and maybe try and help people and i've had some people reach out to me either leave me very kind sweet reviews or just message me and that's really a great feeling you know it doesn't make me feel like a hero but just to know that i connected with another person who's suffering because i understand that suffering i understand the pain of being shunned and people thinking you're an agent of satan it's you know as absurd as it is that's an unpleasant thing. And I don't know, I just, I wanted to try and help, help my community. And the thing that's really been staggering to me, I mean, you weren't a Jehovah's Witness. I've, I've spoken to people who were never religious or ex-Mormons, you know, that's really powerful and it's really cool. And I feel regret for who I was. I feel shame for who I was in many, many ways being just, you know, a judgmental 
person that, you know, I did look at people and think, oh, well, they're not doing this, so they deserve death. <laughs> and I did that a long time. And it's, it's hard to reclaim your humanity. I feel like every time you have a realization, your brain starts going back through every memory and reframing it with this new knowledge. And sometimes I wish I'd stop realizing things because it's really painful. It's exhausting. So yeah, um, that was a a great interview. Um, I'm I'm very thankful that I read your book. I mean, I I came across you. I'm not sure if it was first on Instagram or on Twitter, or I don't know. I was it Twitter? Twitter. I think so. And so I, me, I'm a slow reader, and I saw your book, and it's like, man. It took me a while because like I'm 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 very slow, but I would you know I have a Kindle and I'd be like walking around, I'd be walking in my car, I'd be driving, and I I take notes uh, because I I I forget you know chapters and you know it's like yeah. what I what did I read, but you know I try I try my best to really, especially if I'm gonna have a guest, uh, to read their material and to hopefully you know. Uh, be a good host when they're on we're on when they're on the the podcast so i hope i've been uh a good uh host on this podcast and um where can people find this book so you can google mentally diseased book uh, that will come up it's also available on amazon uh and barnes and noble walmart uh, you can also Google Michael Osh. Um, it'll have my social media accounts. And um, yeah, and also, you know, uh, just if any, I mean, I'm no authority, but I do understand, you know, despair and depression and wanting to die so you don't hurt. So if, you know, anyone is has left a group and is struggling, you can feel free to message me and reach out. And, you know, I, I work crazy hours, but... I, I will respond and give you a listening ear and, you know, do what I can. So thank you very much, Micah. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I'll be leaving all that, uh, those links for the Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, on the show notes. So hopefully uh, the listeners and the viewers on YouTube or on Spotify can go check that out and can find uh, your book and will there be any future books? So, uh, yes, uh, I, uh, have, uh, two books in the work at various stages. Um, uh, there's a poem before each chapter in mentally diseased. And uh, so I had leftover poems that I wrote from 2002 to 2022 and I've, uh, compiled them into a collection. I'm going to, uh, title that gangrenous speeches and then I'm also writing a horror novella about the Antichrist and causing problems for the one true religion. Uh, and I'm going to call that Despicable. And uh, that's going to come out uh, this December. Did you, say, did you say December or September? Oh, December. December. Okay. Yeah. So uh, listeners, you know, uh, keep that in mind. You know, so you got to storm the Amazon and uh, buy his book and buy his uh, future books when they come out. 
again, uh, thank you so much, Micah. It has been an honor to have you on this show. And um, I look forward to seeing more of your content soon. Uh, I awesome. am... I'm your host, uh, Ryan Anthony Hernandez, and I've been joined by Micah Lash. This is the Truth That Heals podcast.